coming out on this snowy morning. It's a little little nicer now that the roads have been cleared a little better. Um, so we're glad you're here with us this morning. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 this morning? I need to make a, a quick announcement. We're going to adjust. Um, our announcement videos get made um, in advance, and we're thankful for those. But um, we're actually going to postpone our foundations class tonight. Um, most of you who were planning on attending um, have probably already been uh, reached about that. Um, and But we just wanted to make an announcement, make sure that everybody knows. So that way if somebody here decided they wanted to come, nobody will be here tonight. So um, just wanted to make sure that we got that announced. And as you can see, we're, we're taking a slight detour from our current series through the book of Daniel. Um, but when the Lord moves, we just listen and, and uh, obey. And I'm really excited about what God's really shown me uh, as I've been studying this week um, to share with you this morning. Let's go ahead and pray one more time before we begin. God, I'm just so thankful for the opportunity to be able to be gathered here with your family, our family, that we call Crosspoint, God, and we're just so blessed to be a part of a church that is growing and thriving and seeking after you. I pray that you would just use what you've taught me um, in study uh, to just help us be a better church, that we would be better individuals, that I would be a better disciple of you going forward. We love you. We pray for just all the many people who are going through difficult times right now, and I pray that you would just have your hand of comfort and blessing upon all of those, um, as we all we all face different things um, in this life. And God, you 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 never promised us anything different. Lord, I pray that you would help uh, me to be an encouragement this morning, as you've uh, encouraged me in your word. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, um, we're going to be going through a passage that's very well known, um, known as the Sermon of the Mount, and I'm really excited about this. It really is in line exactly with what here we at Crosspoint are trying to do. Um, if you've been here for any amount of time, you know that you've probably heard the term disciple or discipleship consistently, and that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. When many churches these days are, are excited about growth and numbers, and we're excited about growth and numbers too, but more importantly, we're, we are given to helping you get closer to God and have a deeper walk with the Lord. So I want to take this morning, and we just want to focus in on what is a disciple? A disciple in the dictionary, it says a, a disciple is a student or a follower of a teacher, a leader, or a philosopher. And you might be asking, well, who is a disciple? And the reality is we all are. Um, we all have someone that we're either being discipled by or someone we are discipling. Uh, some, some of us are discipled by maybe some things that we shouldn't. Um, we're, we're held captive by, by people on the other end of a, of a social media um, that has more clout in our lives than maybe the people that should. And the bottom line is Jesus has given us clear parameters, clear directions about who is a disciple of his. 
And in Matthew chapter 5, we come to what is the longest written recorded sermon uh, of Jesus um, in the Bible. Chapters 5 through 7 are 109 uninterrupted verses where Jesus sets the tone for the introduction of the kingdom of heaven. It's a very well-referenced passage, and in my opinion, it has some of the most beautiful phraseology in the entire Bible, but yet it has some of the most misunderstood and even paradoxical statements that readers have puzzled over for centuries. In these chapters, we find the Sermon of the Mount, um, as it has been called. And what's, in, what's, what's really funny about this and is that it was actually preached on something probably a lot smaller than a mountain that we think of. It was right next to the Sea of Galilee, and I've heard that it's a very sorry excuse for a mountain, but yet maybe that was the biggest thing they had around, so they thought it was a mountain. And I'm sure, um, but what we do know is that it, it created a large gathering space for people who were following Jesus. Uh, Jesus' life and ministry had begun uh, in chapter 3 when John the Baptist was preaching and preparing the way for him to come. And then he baptized Jesus um, at the beginning of his ministry. And, that, and then in chapter 4, Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And after coming through those sinless, he goes and he calls the first of his disciples, Andrew, Peter, James, and John. He calls them from their life of being fishermen to follow him to become fishers of men. And so here we arrive in chapter 5 at his famous sermon on the mount. And Jesus at the, has been gaining a following. Uh, chapter 4, verse 25 says that great crowds have followed him from Galilee and Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan, like even into Syria. These people are following after this man, this rabbi, this teacher who... Has, is saying stuff that they've never heard before. Chapter 5, verse 1, we'll begin here. Now seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now in this culture, it's a little bit different than what we're doing here this morning. Um, I'm standing and teaching from the word of God. But rabbis, when they sat down, they, people knew, oh, we need to gather around. We need to listen. That was the custom. And so Jesus sat, and the disciples immediately knew something was about to happen. They, something important was about to be said, and so they gathered around. And in verse 2, he begins speaking, and he teaches them, saying, Now, this great crowd has gathered around him, and they want to see what he would do next. They've heard of miracles. They've heard of healings. They've heard of uh, the wine being multiplied, they're, they're like, whoa, I, I want to see what he's going to do next. What's he going to say next? But Jesus is unscathed by that. Now, does he see them and does he care for the multitudes? Yes, he does. But in this moment, his focus is on his disciples, his followers. And in the following verses, we find eight statements that are lovingly referred to as the Beatitudes, otherwise known as supreme blessings. Now, this is where things get interesting. At first glance, it seems contradictory. Every single one of these. Let's read verses 3 through 12 for context. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger 
and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure at heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be very glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in this manner they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, a word that starts every single one of those statements is blessed, blessed. And this word means joyful. And I'm not going to lie, many of these situations that he's describing don't make me think I would be very happy. But Jesus here is teaching his disciples what true happiness is, following him following his example. Everything he says to his disciples as he teaches them, he himself will do at some point in time. He is giving his followers a list of characteristics that are true of those who are of the kingdom. Now, these ways seem unorthodox or counterculture, and that's exactly what he meant to do. Now, mankind, we... We have rebelled against a holy God and we've made our own rules all the way back in Genesis. In the garden, the devil came to Eve and tempted her and told her, you could be like God. The Tower of Babel, the whole world was gathering to build a tower to reach to heaven so they could overthrow him before he confused their speech. Israel was desiring after the ways of the heathen to have their own king instead of God. Uh, God was their ruler, and yet they saw all the countries around them, and they had kings, and they, they wanted that. Now, the Pharisees had even, in this day, they had created a code of ethics that was political, and very frankly, it was de- demonic. Jesus said that they were of their father, the devil, in John 8. And even today, we still see this. We still fall for the same things. Humanity continues to make these mistakes. We're constantly being bombarded by culture to be our own authority, to be our own truth, be who we want to be, do what makes us feel good, even overthrow the established moral law if it gets in the way of progress, even at the cost of our conscience. I'm sure you've heard every single one of these phrases in recent memory. It's a fetus, not a baby. Love is love. Your gender is not determined by biology or DNA. Even religion has been weaponized by Satan and humanity as another avenue to establish an earthly kingdom. Conformity for the sake of control. An image to uphold rather than submission to the one who made us in his image. An identity given to us by our own purposes that we think are best rather than the one that was given to us while we were yet in our mother's womb. Galatians 1, Paul talks about this. So Jesus, we, we see here, he's not here to pick sides. He's here to establish his kingdom. And many things he says in chapters 5 through 7 are very much the cause for followers of his to fall away. Once they start to see that he means what he says, they were intrigued. They, they were oh, well, I'm going to continue to follow after this teacher. He's saying some weird stuff, but he's doing some real cool stuff too. I'm, I'm on board. I'm still comfortable. 
But in John, we see, John chapter 6, we see where things take a turn and people start to fall away. His followers start to fall away. Jesus has just finished teaching in the synagogue and he's claimed to be the son of God and the only way for anyone to come to God and have eternal life. People have been following him and they're, and they're, they've heard what he said, but now they, they realize he means it. And he's requiring this of them. And they're not able to reconcile who this Jesus is with the Messiah they, they were waiting for. John chapter 6, verse 60, he says, when, it says, when they heard this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Like, wow, these things, like, I, I don't think I really like that. It's, if I had to choose, I don't think I would choose to obey this. And Jesus, he's not surprised. Knowing in himself, in verse 61, he says that he sees that his disciples are murmuring, and he says, are you offended by this? I haven't said anything different. If you... I've said this before, and he's continuing to, to, to stay true to what he's been preaching since day one. In verse 63, he, he clarifies, and he says, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. So Jesus has been going about preaching and gaining a following. Not for the sake of gaining a following, but so that he could save humanity. And what's amazing to this is he knew that, they, that many would not believe. Many would not continue to follow him once he got to this point of his ministry. And he still chased after them. He still had compassion he still reached out to them, knowing that one of his own 12 would betray him. And even at one point in time, all 12 of his disciples would forsake him in difficult moments. Verse 66 kind of puts the nail in the coffin. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They were done with it. They wanted nothing more to do with what Jesus had to say because they realized, I... I don't think I want to be a part of this. And what's amazing is what happens next. Jesus turns to his 12 disciples and he says, do you also want to go away? And Simon answers him and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter's declaration here in verse 69 mirrors exactly what Jesus is about to teach us here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, of what the first of eight characteristics of being a member of the kingdom of heaven. Let's go back to verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, when you hear the word poor, Sometimes we think of money, um, we think of um, maybe even um, humility, 
But the reality is most of us, if we're being honest, we, we're okay with a false sense of humility. We're going to put ourselves down to get somebody to notice so that way they can boost our ego, right? Um, like, so we're not really being poor in spirit. But what poor in spirit really means is those who are faced with their own ability to save, save themselves. Now, at this, at this point in time, Peter is admitting full need for a savior. Where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. We believe this. But what happens? Peter denies him, just like Jesus said. He even says, the rest of these, they will leave you, but I'll never leave you. But when push came to shove and it got uncomfortable, Jesus got denied by Peter three times, just like he said he would. But what's amazing is what happens next. In the book of Acts, we see that Peter is preaching to thousands at Pentecost, and they're saved. What happened? He was remorseful unto repentance, and God was able to use him. And then there's another side of the coin. There's a, a man that we all know by the name of Judas, one of the 12, who, if you look at any children's picture book, he's kind of standing off the, in the corner, kind of scowling. Like, everybody knows he's the bad guy, right? But the reality is this. He was with Jesus for three years. And when Jesus was talking to his disciples at his last supper, he says, like, one of you is going to betray me. And they're all like, Who? Is it me? Is it me? They literally didn't know. And Judas, he blended in. He was one of the 12. But yet he also denied Jesus. But his denial was completely different. He took the money that he received for denying and for turning him over to the Romans of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And he turned and he threw it back at them because he was guilty. He was guilty. He felt shame, but... What he did next was very telling of who he was following. He ended his life without repenting. He didn't go back and seek after God. He took things into his own hands. The difference between Peter and Judas is very stark, and it's very convicting that we are following someone, but when push comes to shove, who we follow is the one we turn to when we have nothing else. Now, in our day-to-day -day lives, also, as followers of Christ, we're supposed to be humble. Jesus teaches humility, true humility, with phrases such as, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Um, or even with his actions, he humbled himself even to the death of the cross. He was poor in spirit, and we also should be poor in spirit because of Jesus' example. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, when we think of mourning, we think of crying, we think of being upset. And very rarely do we think that we, I mean, yeah, you can happy cry, but it's probably because you cried before because of some deep pain, some, some deep hurt. But the reality is that those who mourn, this is referring to those whose sins grieve them deeply. Now, uh, Psalm chapter 51 is a very, a very um, poignant chapter 
where David bears his soul to God in repentance after he's done some terrible things. He's, he's gone and he's slept with another man's wife. He tried to cover up what he had done, but he couldn't because she was pregnant. And so he killed the guy so he could have her for himself and horrible things. And what he's done right before writing this, he has watched his child die as a result of his sin. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 4, he begs for, have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the abundance of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and you are blameless when you judge. He he's able to find joy in this pain because later he even says that he can't go be with his child or I can't bring my child back to me, but I can go to him because what God took away because of his sin, one day when he was able to go to heaven because of his repentance, he would be with his child one day. That's the happiness that the joy that God can give us is if we see the sin that we are just so stuck in and we don't want to get rid of it and we know that maybe coming forward with it will will hurt badly and it's very uncomfortable we don't want to face that but he's waiting on the other side he's going to walk us through that because the joy is in being close to jesus another application though is we can as followers of jesus mourn for the needs of others Jesus was moved with compassion for the crowds. He was, he was sorrowful for them because they were sheep without a shepherd. And he even wept at the tomb of Lazarus because, I mean, that was devastating. His friend, Mary and Martha's brother, had died, and it was painful. But he knew what he was going to do, yet he wept with them. We're called to go and to mourn with those who are going through difficult times. That's sometimes a difficult thing because sitting with someone who's going through a difficult time, you know, shouldering what they're carrying is sometimes difficult. We don't, it's uncomfortable for us as well, but yet Jesus carried our sins to the cross. Verse 5, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Now meekness described by Matthew Henry in his commentary, is those who quietly submit themselves to God, to his word and to his rod, who follow all his directions and comply with his designs and are gentle toward all men. Now, Jesus, once again, is not going to ask us to do something that he's not willing to do himself. Isaiah 53 is a very common passage when studying prophecy of when Jesus what he would go through when he came to redeem those who would believe in him. Isaiah 53, verse 3 says, He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. We looked at him and didn't want anything to do with him. Even while we were in desperate need, we despised him. 
yet he bore our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, he didn't open his mouth. He was meek for us. And what was his reward? I mean, the God of the universe who created all things, like what could he gain from this? He gained us. John chapter 10, verses 25 through 30, Jesus answered them. He's talking to the Pharisees here. I told you, you didn't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you don't believe because you are not my sheep, as I said to you. Because my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish, nor shall anyone snatch them from my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. An inheritance. Jesus was given us by God. It's greater than all. No one is able to snatch them from my hand. My Father and I are one. His meekness had a purpose, that we would follow him. And all he requires of us is that we follow him. Because he says in Matthew 11 that if we take on his burden, it's light. His yoke is easy. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Now, for us, if we're following Christ, well, what do we inherit? And sometimes we look at, well, if I'm meek, if I'm lowly, if I'm gentle, if I, if I follow what the Bible says, what Jesus is teaching us, well, the world's going to kind of run over me. Well, you're right. But the truth is, we will inherit the earth. The quote of Psalm 37 is actually here in Matthew 11. And the verse is this, but the meek will inherit the earth and will delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Well, you might look at the world and wonder, where's the peace at? You know, I'm, I am following Christ. Maybe we are following Christ. And we are being meek like he instructs. But yet we see so much devastation, so much pain, so much hardship. Where's the peace? Well, the reality is this. We won't find it here. Because our kingdom is not of this earth. Our kingdom is above with with Christ and he will come back and he will reestablish his reign but until then we're called to follow his example verse 6 blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness they will be filled now righteousness is nowadays kind of a term that can be interpreted by depending on who wants to call it righteousness is basically what it's going to mean. But the truth is God has an established order and he has given that to us in his word. And we're to follow this. Jesus leads us through the paths of righteousness in Psalm 23. The Lord loves righteousness and he sees those who are righteous. Psalm 11, verse 7. But because we're unable to be righteous on our own, Jesus took on our, took on our unrighteousness so that we could receive his 
righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. And I love this next truth that we can receive the righteousness by believing the truth of 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we, if we think that we can find our own way, we're sadly mistaken. If, we, if we're focusing on what we think is right, because bottom line is our hearts are wicked, they're evil. We don't even understand them. And God's plan is that he would guide us. And he's given us his word that we can follow him in the paths of righteousness. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. That's a weak spot in my life, I'll be honest. How many times something happens and you're just like, I want them to get what they deserve. They wronged me. I want them to pay. But yet, we actually have been forgiven much. I love the story of the unforgiving servant in Matthew chapter 18, where if you've heard of it, this, this servant has been forgiven a debt, a life debt. He can't pay it. There's no way that he could ever pay this debt, even if he worked 24-7 for the rest of his life. And in humility, he goes and he throws himself before this master, this debt collector, and says, please have mercy upon me. And amazingly, this, this debt collector forgives him. Not a dime needed. You are free to go. But yet, I find myself more like the second half of that story, where that servant goes out, and he finds a guy who owes him something that's, I mean, it's kind of some chump change. Like, I, I covered a meal here for you, and you haven't paid me back. It's been a long time. Give it back to me. Pins him up against the wall and demands that he gives it back. He has, doesn't have the money. So he throws him into a prison, debtor's prison. Now this master finds out about it, and he comes with a fury to this servant. He says, I forgave you a life debt. You couldn't forgive this one person an inconvenience? And it's a very harsh reality that we see that he is cast into hell because of this action. Those who follow God, we're called to be merciful because we've received so much mercy that we didn't deserve. God has just been so good to us, and yet we're distracted by the inconveniences here on this earth. Verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure in heart, pure we think of like perfect when we hear that, but here it's actually referring to maturity. And those who are mature in heart, those who are maturing in their faith, following the way of Christ, they will have a religion, James 1 says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God. The father is this, to visit the fatherless, the widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. If we're maturing in our faith, we're going to be putting away the things that are going to hold us back. We're going to not go after and seek immediate gratification. We're going to seek after the things of God. 
And that's going to change our hearts and it's going to allow us to go and to take care of those who can't take care of themselves. Because that's what Jesus did. We couldn't take care of ourselves and yet he came and he redeemed us. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. So when I think of peacemakers, sometimes I think people kind of get confused with peace with um, being right. I think too often we think that being right is doing right. And you might get on Facebook and see that somebody's saying something that's completely wrong and they're like, I'm going to set them straight. <laughs> when has that ever worked? I have not found that to be the case in any of my dealings on the internet. Um, but yet it doesn't stop us, right? Because well, God wants us to do this. I mean, I love, the, I love when people take the Bible out of context and say, well, Jesus, he went into the temple and he chased everybody out that was doing wrong. And my, my question to you, my question to myself is, well, am I Jesus? Am I perfect? Like, he lived an entire sinless life. I think I'm going to let him judge and I'm just going to do my part. I'm going to just follow his way because he says to be a peacemaker. They will be called the sons of God. Jesus, later in chapter 5, and throughout the rest of the, the Sermon on the Mount, he, he teaches these points that are unorthodox, they're countercultural, like turn the other cheek when, you know, when somebody hits you in the face, well, let them hit the other side, it's no big deal. Uh, at this point in time, the Romans are inhabiting Israel, and they can pretty much do whatever they want. They're taking their taxes they're, they're doing whatever they want, and they can even stop a person, and they can make them carry their, their pack, which is like their, their food, their shield, their spear, so they can just walk wherever they want to go, not have to carry it, and the Jews hate them. I mean, they were their enemies. They couldn't stand it, and Jesus goes, so um, the next time one of them comes up to you and says, hey, go this far with me, go twice as far, and do it joyfully. I don't believe that's something I would initially think to be something I would want to do, but yet that's what Jesus wants us to do. Maybe there's someone in your life that you're, you're you know, butting heads with and you're having a difficulty, and maybe, maybe it's a chance for us to take a step back and realize, hey, what, how would God want me to handle this situation? Maybe being right here isn't going to solve anything. Maybe I just need to hear what they have to say. Maybe I just need to be be open to compromise maybe even to to see to see maybe myself as not the answer, but maybe God's word is the answer. Paul says in Romans 12, repay no one evil for evil. Commend what is honest in the sight of all men, and if it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, we're on our last one here in verses 10 through 12. And these here kind of, I think they, they sting the most. Um, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice, be very glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in this manner they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
wait, so I'm supposed to be happy for suffering for Jesus? Um, now, when Jesus was suffering, he was constantly thinking of others. And even in the garden, he said, not my will, but yours be done. He was faced with the worst imaginable persecution of all. And yet he did it for us. And he says in John, he's telling them later, if the world hates you, you know it hated me first before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as if you were their own. But because you are not of the world, since I chose you out of the world, the world therefore hates you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. He's promising them it's not going to be easy to walk this journey of being a follower of Jesus, being a disciple. Hebrews 11 is full of examples where, and I'm going to turn there because I want to read this. These are important. It's, it's amazing how many people went through something because of their faith. Verse one is, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith, you know, we, we know that it is given to us by God. We, we can't have it on our own. And many people throughout the book, through, throughout this chapter, are faced with situations that they would rather not face. Abraham has to leave his home, and he goes because God called him. Moses, he's, you know, raised as a, a prince in Egypt, and yet he chooses to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a time. And even at the end of the chapter, we see a list of things that, at this time, when this is being written, what Christians are facing during the Roman Empire. Verse 36, others had trials of mocking and scourging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered around in sheepskins and goatskins while destitute, afflicted, and tormented. They, they had no place to call home. They were outcasts. The Roman Empire was trying to stomp out this new movement that was started by the Christians, and they were blessed. Jesus calls them blessed because they were choosing to be persecuted for his name. I don't think that any of us face that type of persecution at this point in time. But I think it's coming. Whether it's not for us, maybe it's for our, maybe for our kids, maybe it's for future generations. We're all facing something that if we don't choose to follow God, it would be easy to walk away. Because, I mean, it's not the easiest path, traveled path. Now, I've just got a couple of things in conclusion before we close this morning that I want to share with us. Now, I know this wasn't necessarily a super exciting sermon, but I think that as we go forward here in 2023, it's important for us to understand that being a disciple of Jesus Christ it's worth it. 
And we should take this passage here and see if we truly are a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying doubt your salvation. I'm not asking you, like, but I am asking us to look at ways that we aren't matching up with the path that Jesus has exampled for us and has left for us to follow. We, maybe we need to make some changes. I know I need to make some changes. We should constantly be seeking to become more like him, following the example that he left behind. And I know it's a very daunting task. I mean, it seems like it's not, we're not able to do it in our own strength. Especially since, you know, this is a list of eight, and it's not a pick and choose. It's not a have it your way menu. It's, we need to have evidence of all eight of these things in our life. And if we don't, we have work to do. We need to seek to follow God, but we have, but how do we do that? It's, it's not possible in our own strength, is it? No, it's not. We have to come to the realization that it's impossible without him. He came and he died. He rose. He lived a sinless life for us so that we could follow in his steps. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4, verse 15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who was in every sense tempted like we are, yet without sin. He's faced it all. I mean, I know sometimes we go through life and somebody tries to give us you know, some encouragement like, hey, you, you know, I know you're going through this, but don't worry, you'll, you'll make it through. And you're like, have you faced what I'm facing? And the reality is, Jesus has. Maybe nobody else knows what you're going through, but Jesus does. I'd like everyone to have their heads bowed and eyes closed as uh, we have some music playing. I just, I want to encourage us that living a life for Jesus is worth it. But living a life as a follower of Jesus is a call to suffer. It's not a maybe, it's a guarantee. If you've lived any amount of time as a believer where you follow Jesus truly in your heart and there's been a time, I guarantee there's been a time where you have experienced pain, discomfort, disappointment, hurt, loss. Now Jesus declares that this is a blessing. We're supposed to be happy and joyful in this. So I'm supposed to be happy when life seems to be a storm that makes me think I'm going to sink in despair, depression, and anxiety. I'm supposed to count it all joy when I face the unimaginable things I couldn't have even dreamed of. They're happening. But Jesus says that his burden is light. But why does it seem so heavy? Why does it hurt so much? And here's the answer. Because you're his. His way is perfect. If you would, if you would choose it, you wouldn't. It's so much higher than our way, so much better than we can imagine. You aren't carrying it alone, though. And you really aren't carrying any of it if you are his child, because he's carrying you. 1 Peter 5, verse 7 says, Cast all your care upon him, because he cares for you. And Isaiah 46, verse 4 says, I will be your God throughout your lifetime. 
until your hair is white with age, I made you and I will care for you. I will carry you along and save you. Now I'm encouraged when I see those who walk through the valley of the shadow of death and they're able to keep their head held high. They're able to see the true purpose of what they're going through and that's because they're a follower of Jesus and he's called them to walk a path that he has given them. They have joy, joy the world can't take away. It's given by Jesus. And one day when we're face to face with Jesus, he will make everything known to us. Eternal life in his presence where he wipes away the tears from our eyes forever. He's a personal God. And that's what being a disciple is, walking with Jesus, step for step. And when we can't take that step, he brings us along. Now, maybe you're here or maybe you're listening online and you don't know what we're talking about. Maybe this is all new to you. And to be honest, it sounds kind of daunting, very heavy. But the reality is this, Jesus loves you and he wants you. He's called you by your name. And we as a church, we would love for you to meet him. Let's take a moment and just ponder these things this morning. so thankful that you have called us to be yours. We thank you for paying the price that we could never pay so that we could be with you forever. Forever being now. That we can start today, if we don't know, that we can start today living for forever. Being a citizen of heaven. We're so thankful for your promises so thankful to be a part of a church here that is focused on reaching those with the gospel who've never heard and discipling those who have recently come to know you to become more like you, Lord. We're all on this journey together and I pray that you would help us, encourage us, help us to become a part of a family here at Cross Point that seeks to be following you. We love you. We thank you for all your blessings. We pray that you would be with the rest of our day, that you would just give us safety on our, on our way home. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're so glad that you came to Cross Point. Once again, I want to remind you that there is not a class tonight, so um, we will send out a reminder when we reschedule it. Um, and before we close, we're going to have Brother John come on up and pray for our missionaries. Thank you, Pastor.